0: Do any of you remember the Jerry Springer show? For 27 years, Jerry Springer hosted a dreadful talk show. So for 27 years, Jerry Springer hosted this this talk show that quite often featured the most dramatic, unbelievable, dysfunctional individuals and families in America. Jerry would bring these people on his show and dig into their complicated situations until things would always come to a boiling point and there was yelling and drama and sometimes even a good knockdown, drag-out fight. One of the most prominent biblical writers and personalities had a family that might be fitting for the Jerry Springer show. Actually, there are probably more than one family in the scriptures that we could point to, but since we're in the Psalms this summer... I'm talking about King David. David's family life was, let's use the word, complex. We know of at least 19 sons that David had, two more that seemingly died at birth or shortly thereafter. We don't know how many daughters. We know there were some. But in the ancient world, of course, they were left out of lists of descendants. Our psalm today gives us a glimpse into David's experience with one of his sons, a man named Absalom. 2 Samuel chapter 14 tells us that Absalom was the best-looking guy in Israel. He was popular, he was charismatic, and he stole the hearts of the people. David was busy managing the affairs of the kingdom. If you've ever been in any leadership position, you know that at any given time, half of the people don't really like you. But Absalom, everybody liked Absalom. Everybody was drawn to him. He had a winsome personality. He was winning the people over. And he had his eyes set on his father's throne. Absalom began hatching a plan to overthrow his father. And it seemed to be working well, at least at first. Working so well, actually, that David and his supporters had to flee Jerusalem In order to save their lives. And that's the setting, that's the backdrop, the context for our psalm for today. Uh, You'd be blessed if you take time today or or this week to read 2 Samuel chapters 14 through 18. You kind of get most of the story in that handful of chapters. Uh, So 2 Samuel 14 through 18. uh, That'll give you much more of the backstory, the context of the place that David is writing from in our psalm today. Our psalm this morning comes from this time when David is on the run, fearing for his life, grieving over the Jerry Springer-esque family that he was responsible for, and yet deeply trusting in the Lord's deliverance and protection. Psalm 3, this is God's word to us. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Let's pray. God, make our hearts into the good soil of which Jesus taught receptive to the the seed of your word as it's sown into our hearts today. Your your word is true and it is good. And so help us to trust in you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God uses King David's very dramatic and tumultuous family situation to give us this beautiful psalm of, of confidence and trust. And there are a handful of reasons why we can and should have confidence in the Lord. Why we can and should trust in Him. And let me today share three that we find in our psalm. First, we trust in God's promise to protect us. Look at verse 3. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. And then jump down to verse 6. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Why doesn't David fear? Because he knows that God is a shield on all sides of him. God is his defense, as David would say elsewhere. God is his fortress, his refuge, his protector. David had, had witnessed and experienced throughout his life. He had personally known God's protection in the past, and had every bit of confidence that God would continue to protect him. But we must always think of God's protection as part of his graciousness, his kindness, his goodness to us, and not something that we deserve, not something that we command. We look to the whole of Scripture, and we realize that one day David would and did die. It's not like God changed his mind on that day and stopped protecting David. Or in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul speaks about God's protection. But it's not as if that protection that Paul spoke of somehow ran out or or dried up on that day that evil people ended Paul's life. David prays for God's protection with a full understanding that God is Sovereign, that God is the one who's always in control, and that there will come a day when our lives will end. God promises to protect his people, but he also promises that we will experience hardship, suffering, and trials. Those two are not mutually exclusive. Just because we experience trials, hardship, suffering, doesn't mean that God has gone back on his promise to protect us god is all-powerful all-knowing always good and his promise to protect his people falls underneath his control of all worldly circumstances when martin luther was summoned to worms to answer the accusations made against him his advisors and his friends begged him not to go they knew how this story would likely end if he went the emperor had promised safe passage and that Luther would be safe without regard to the outcome. But everybody knew that was not true. He was not known for his honesty. And so Luther began his journey to Worms, and and one of his closest friends sent a message to him, begging him one last time not to enter the city. And Luther wrote back a famous reply. Listen to what Luther said. He said, quote, Tell him that even if there were as many devils in verms as shingles on the rooftops, I would still enter. You see, Luther knew the reality that he might die. He expected that. But he trusted in God's protection and even more in God's grace to him, that even if he did die, that it was well with his soul, that God was still in control. And it was on that trip to Worms, of course, we know the famous quote that has been attributed to Luther as he stood before the emperor when he said, unless I can be persuaded by scripture and by sound reason, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. We have every reason, just like Luther on that day, to trust in God's protection. Those who are in Christ children of God, are free to live our lives with confidence, with hope, because our eyes are not fixed. We are not intent on preserving this life here and now. We know that this isn't the goal. We know that we don't get out of here alive. And so we don't need to obsess over those things. Our eyes are free to be fixed on the glory and hope and promise of what comes after this life. God holds all things in his hand, and we can trust in his care and his protection second we trust in the promise of God to sustain us I love verse five I lie down and sleep I wake again because the Lord sustains me now you might be wondering what exactly is the difference between God sustaining us and God protecting us I think it's maybe best summarized in the quote that I shared a few weeks ago from Luther's small catechism. We confess these words, I believe that God has created me and all that exists. He has given to me and still sustains my body and soul, my senses and all my members, my reason and all the powers of my soul. I believe that he gives me food and clothing, home and family, and all material blessings that he daily provides abundantly for all the needs of my life, protects me from all danger, guards and keeps me from all evil. I believe that he does this because of his fatherly and divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this, I should thank, praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. Everything that, that we are everything that we have is from God think about those words he has given to me and still sustains my body and my soul my senses and all my members my reason and all the powers of my soul I think it's helpful to think about it this way the very fact that you woke up this morning is a miracle you breathed. Think about that. Without any thought of your own, without any initiative, you breathed, and that life-giving oxygen that just happens to be floating around plentifully in the air around you entered your lungs and diffused into your bloodstream. Your heart had the right electronic impulses to know to continue to pump that blood throughout your body, So that all of your cells, all of your organ systems could continue doing what they were created to do. And what did you contribute to making this happen? Nothing, right? Like you had no power, no ability to continue these processes. Think about it. Even if you willed yourself to stop breathing. Even if you held your breath as long as you possibly could. What will happen? You might pass out, and then what's going to happen? Your body's going to take over and keep breathing, right? Doing what it was designed to do. And what do we contribute? What do we do? David says, "I, I lie down and sleep. I wake up again. Why? Because the Lord sustains me. Because it's his will, it's his Plan. It's his desire that I have life again today. Without God's permission for you to wake up today, you would not have woken up today. If you are here this morning, you do not need to fear because the same God who knit you together, the same God who designed our body to work as it does, the same God who organized our world in such a way that we have exactly what we need for sustenance and life, just around us that same god watches over us and provides and sustains us there's a quote that i found helpful it's often attributed to saint patrick no i don't think anybody knows if it actually came from him but listen to these words christ with me christ before me christ behind me christ in me christ beneath me christ above me Christ on my right and on my left Christ when I lie down and Christ when I sit down Christ when I arise we live with God's promise to care for us to sustain us to provide exactly what we need for today he has not and will not forget us he has not and will not abandon us you see the theme of this Psalm, a deep sense of trust, of rest, of confidence, of hope in God, in spite of terrible circumstances. We trust in God's promise to protect us, to sustain us. And third, we trust in God's promise to deliver us. This is maybe the major theme of this psalm. Verse 4, I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Verse 7, arise, deliver me, my God. Verse 8, from the Lord comes deliverance. This theme of deliverance is one of the major themes that exists throughout the Old Testament, really. This isn't uh, just in this psalm. But why is this idea of deliverance, of exodus, of saving, such a prominent theme? Why is that cry, that request, that longing? all throughout the scriptures and throughout humanity whether we're thinking of the hebrews in slavery in egypt or israel exiled in babylon or anywhere in between god's people consistently cry out for deliverance and of course it continues into the new testament the sick and the demon-possessed Longing to be delivered and set free. The people outside of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday shouting Hosanna, which means, come save us. It's the cry of humanity. And it continues today. We long for a savior, a deliverer, for someone to rescue us. And we, as humans, look for a savior anywhere we think one might be found. We look for a political savior. We look for a spouse who might rescue us. We look for someone offering us a promotion and more money. We intrinsically, instinctively long for a savior, a deliverer. We long to be set free from our struggle, from that which we feel is oppressing us. And since our first parents mistrusted God in the garden, we have been prone to do exactly what they did. To look to substances, to experiences, to distractions, to things that make us feel powerful in order to deliver us. We build our shrines to our own personal little saviors. And don't think for a moment that, as a follower of Christ, that you are not in the grip of this as well. There's some questions that I use often in conversations with people to help us get to the heart, to help us understand our own little idols. Question like, where do you find peace? Where do you get a sense of hope? What defines your identity? Who are you? What gives you rest? Or questions like, who or what is the source of my problems? If I could change one thing about my life, what would I change? What raises my blood pressure? What makes me upset? Those are questions that help us probe our own hearts, that shine a light into our idle factories. The psalm is an invitation to look to God alone. What we find, and what I think we, we know, is that he is really the only true deliverer. This is why I encourage people to go to funerals. Because at a funeral, you you sit there and you think about all the life that this person has lived. I officiated a funeral yesterday and I I did some research. He was born in 1945 and I shared at the funeral that the price of gas in 1945 was 15 cents a gallon. Think about a long, well-lived life, and then you sit there at a funeral. And there might be a few trinkets from that life on display, but very little of the things that we spend our lives on, the efforts that we give our lives to make any significant difference on that final day here on earth. Where do we look for peace for hope? What's the source of my problems? What am I clinging to? To what does my soul look? Every other savior, every other source of hope, every politician or income stream or human institution will prove itself empty and meaningless on that last day. We think in our hearts, if only so-and-so would get elected then everything would be better right some of you feel that in your bones today and then so-and-so gets elected and four or eight years go by and we're no better things are functionally the same world isn't fixed my problems aren't gone Its longing is natural. It's part of our nature. And I would argue it's actually good, this desire to be delivered, this desire to be set free, whether from the fear of death like David or from the problems of our world or from health concerns or financial trouble or whatever it is, this desire is God-given and it's good and it's meant to drive us to the cross. But instead we look so many other places. Rather than being satisfied in Christ, we want something in addition to Jesus. right? Something that's closer, that seems closer at least. It's easy to buy into that belief that Jesus is what we need for eternity, for someday down the road, sort of like life insurance. That we need something else now. We need something more relevant today. And quite often we just don't like the way that Jesus delivers. We don't like the way that Jesus answers our prayers or sometimes doesn't answer our prayers. We can come up with a better plan on our own. This is our nature. Think about how God answered David's prayer in this psalm. Some of you know the outcome of the situation with his trouble with Absalom. How does God deliver David? How does God answer David's prayer? Let's look to God's word 2 Samuel chapter 18, I'm going to start reading in verse 9. This tells us the rest of the story. How God answers the prayer that David prays in this psalm. 2 Samuel 18, starting in verse 9. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's hair caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair while the mule kept riding. When one of the men saw what had happened, he told Joab, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. Joab said to the man who had told him this, What? You saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I would have had to give you ten shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. But the man replied, even if a thousand shekels, were weighed out into my hands, I would not lay a hand on the king's son. In our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, protect the young man Absalom for my sake. And if I had put my life in jeopardy and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have kept your distance and hidden from me. Joab said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hand and he plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And ten of Joab's armor-bearers surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. God answered David's prayer. God delivers and rescues David from his greedy, murderous son in perhaps the most extraordinary means imaginable. This was a resolution that only God could have orchestrated. David would never have dreamed up this answer to his prayer, and in fact, it's not the answer that David wanted. David wanted his son spared. He loved his son, even though Absalom wanted him dead, and David cries out, oh, Absalom, my son, my son, weeping when he hears the news. This is how God chose to deliver David, to answer his prayer, by the defeat of his wicked son. Part of growing in our faith is coming to understand that we don't control the outcomes, that we are not The ones in control that we don't get to choose our own path especially when it comes to how god answers our prayers and fulfills his promises and orchestrates the events and the circumstances of our lives we learn to trust god even when his pathway of rescue and deliverance isn't the course that we would have sketched out for ourselves but we trust nonetheless because god has proven himself Faithful, because God works all things for good, even things I can't understand. God is always at work saving and rescuing and delivering. We can trust in Him. And I think we see the ultimate reason for trust buried within this psalm. I was reading this week from some sermons preached by St. Augustine. Augustine said that this psalm seemed just like any other psalm until he noticed something in verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. Now that might not strike you as all that profound other than what we talked about earlier about God's promise to sustain us. But as the ancient African church father Augustine was pondering this psalm 1,600 years ago. It struck him that he saw and that we see Jesus in verse 5 of this psalm. Augustine says only Jesus could truly pray verse 5, that Jesus is the one who lied down, an ancient biblical illustration for death. And only Jesus was truly woken again, that the Lord sustained him in his life and in his death. Uh, Augustine said that the true hope of this psalm is not just in God's protection, not just in God's promise to sustain or to deliver. The real promise of the psalm, Augustine said, was in the power of God to raise us when one day we lie down. That the real hope of the psalm is in God's resurrection power and promise wrestled with this this week. I I thought maybe Augustine was just seeing something that wasn't there. Maybe he was trying to find Jesus there a little too hard. And so I did some more reading. And I got to someone who I quote often. Brother Martin Luther. 1100 years after Augustine. Listen to what Luther says about verse 5. He says this verse proves to us that now death is not death, but sleep. And the tomb is not a tomb, but a bed and a resting place. Luther says that the resurrection of Jesus is the very center of this psalm. We who are trusting in Jesus Christ, the one who laid down and was woken up again, we're free to live this life in trust and in confidence in God Because we live with not just hope of God's protection, not just hope of God's sustaining work, not just hope of God's deliverance, but we live with resurrection hope. Remember Jesus' words to Mary and Martha in John chapter 11, that beautiful understanding of eternal life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die and then Jesus says do you believe this dear child of God you can live and die with confidence with peace with hope because God holds both our lives and our deaths in his hand he will protect us he will sustain us he will deliver us and so long as our faith is in him he will deliver us once and for all on that great resurrection day deliver us from sin and death and grave and hell that's where David places our confidence in this psalm in the protection the sustaining the delivering the resurrecting power of God. And so I ask you the question this morning that Jesus asked Do you believe this? Let's pray. God, as your word does its work, may you deepen our trust in you. May you make us confident people, not confidence in ourselves or our own ability, but confidence in you alone. We thank you that you protect us. I think all of us have experienced that. That you watch over us. That you are a shield around us. We thank you that you sustain us each day with everything that we need. We thank you that you deliver us. At times rescuing us from trouble. At other times being present in our midst. Walking us through the trouble. God, give us grace, give us faith to trust you today, to rest in you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.